0: Hello you, and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about City Slickers, we're talking about it with Morgan Gold. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed, I will soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. City Slickers is a 1991 American comedy western film directed by Ron Underwood and starring Billy Crystal, Daniel Stern, Bruno Kirby, and Jack Palance. And I just now realized that Ron Underwood is the director and writer of Tremors. Tremors one year, City Slickers the next. Heart and Souls two years later. What a what a fun little stretch, Ron. And Morgan Gold raises ducks, geese, cattle, and trees in northern Vermont. Uh, he tells stories under the name Goldshaw Farm on TikTok and Instagram. That's where I learned about Morgan. I like everything I learn from uh, everything that Morgan shares on TikTok big, big fan, and I'm glad that uh, we were finally able to have Morgan, who I think floated the idea of talking about City Slickers a year ago. I'm glad that we were able to finally make it happen. How's it going out there in your world, people? How are your lives? How are your families? What books are you reading? What movies are you watching? What video games are you playing? When was the last time you took a deep breath and were truly there in the moment, What was the last good sunset that you saw? What was the last great conversation that you had? How is it going in your world? Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on Twitter at youaregoodpod. We love hearing from you. And just in case no one's told you lately, you, my friend, are good. I mean it. I've heard from some of you who say that hearing that is meaningful. And uh, it's meaningful because it's true. So thank you for being here we are grateful we're lucky we get to do this thing and you make that possible speaking of making it possible you are good is made possible with your support thanks to everyone who supports us on patreon and apple podcast subscriptions uh we are artists we are writers we are authors we are weirdos (laughs) we're people who don't have very traditional careers and this helps us be able to live our lives out in the world Thanks so much for making that possible. Thanks so much for making the show possible. And in exchange for your support, you get bonus episodes. We've got a new one that just came out about Manhunter and about the uh, Lectorverse, as Sarah calls it. Check us out on Patreon. Check us out on Apple Podcast subscriptions and uh, listen to us talk about Michael Mann's Manhunter. right that's enough from me for now thank you so much for being here i'm excited to talk with morgan gold about city slickers morgan gold himself is kind of a city slicker he uh had some realizations about his job out in the city and then decided it's time to take this uh take this operation out into the country learn some things about the country learn some things about myself all right let's go talk city slickers with morgan gold Hello, Sarah Marshall.
1: How do you do, Alex Steed?
0: I'm wondering, Sarah. Yes. Have you seen any good movies lately that wonder what it would be like if Ben and Jerry took a strange vacation to hang out with cows?
1: I like that this is what you're doing now. Alex, have you seen a movie that functions extremely well as an unofficial sequel or even (laughs) midquill? to when harry met sally
0: (laughs) but like what if harry was more depressed
1: what if harry and his best friend jess remember bruno kirby sure do yeah yeah it's like i spent a lot of time watching when harry met sally as a 13 year old so like this is these two guys in basically the same era and we are talking of course about city slickers which I hadn't seen before like one time last year and now today, but it feels so familiar to me for that reason.
0: <laughs> we're watching this movie because it was brought to us by today's uh, fabulous guest, someone I eagerly keep up with on TikTok anytime I'm able to see his city slickin' videos. Uh, we're with Morgan Gold. <laughs> How's it
2: going? I'm really excited to be here with you guys today, and and yes, I, I do wear that city slicker label myself pretty hard.
0: You're the closest real city slicker I know who went through this experience that the boys go through in the movie, and you just stayed.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I I think I'm not actually so much the cowboy as I am the guy who's as happy as a puppy with two Peters who runs the ranch. <laughs>
0: I was strongly debating whether I should open with Poppy Road Two Peters. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you brought that up front.
1: You gotta have leave yourself with somewhere to go.
0: <laughs> tell us about you and tell us about what you do and how people might know you. Sure.
2: So so my name is Morgan Gold. I am a farmer here in northern Vermont, but I am a late-in-life farmer. So post midlife crisis, I ended up moving <laughs> out of Washington, DC, up to this farm here and uh, have been raising ducks, geese, chicken, cattle, uh, pigs, trees mm-hmm. for the last few years. And then, yeah, I document it on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, everywhere as Goldshaw Farm. So that is me.
0: Right on. And you, you, your videos are, are lovely. They make farming seem approachable in a way that might, is both endearing and probably a little dangerous. Not that that's your responsibility, but I could see, easily see someone be like, I could do this and then find out that farming is farming.
1: Alex, what is your favorite of these videos or like what comes to mind? What makes you think to yourself, I could do that?
0: It's not just like one standalone video. You'll have a saga where one of the birds isn't laying correctly and you're trying to understand why and you sort of go through that process. I especially liked this April Fool's Day. You made a video that was like a little, I'm surprised you didn't get killed, where (laughs) you you made a video where it created the appearance that with a friend you found, I don't know, like $50,000 or something. And it was set up where you were going to split the money with him if it turned out to be money. And for like a minute, that person thought that they had just made $25,000. Yeah, it was it was
2: a payback prank. So a friend of mine <laughs> pretended to steal my tractor bucket. Yes. And so as payback, I pretended to find $50,000 in a safe that I was going to split with them that just turned out to be movie prop money.
1: <laughs> I am also shocked you weren't murdered because that was like the perfect basis for an Errol Morris documentary. <laughs> Or a Herzog. You could go the Herzog route with that. It
0: is, absolutely.
1: Here in the fields of northern Vermont, (laughs) I looked for brotherhood, but all I found was dissolution and blood.
2: Well, and my buddy uh, Alfred's got some real Klaus Kinski vibes. Oh, that's (laughs) accurate.
1: Which is exactly the person you want to prank.
0: (laughs) Totally, totally. It's like sticking your finger in a rat trap. And just the other thing that I really enjoy that sticks out is my family moved to rural Maine when I was five from the Boston area and were received, as one might imagine if anyone has a foot in sort of these rural areas, being a person who moves from a a city. So I appreciate that you kind of are transparent about what, you know, assimilating to the town that you live and work in now is like Mm -hmm. not always easy.
2: Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, and for folks who don't know, so, you know, for example, we've had issues where hound hunters will have their dogs Mm. running onto our farm and I've had some confrontations there and, you know, trying to adapt and understand the norms and what should you push back on, what should you really Mm -hmm. fit in with has definitely been one of the biggest struggles of going from being a city slicker to a farmer.
0: So before we get into sort of more personal experience with City Slickers, both the movie and the reality, I Mm. was uh, wondering, Sarah, Mm. uh, would it be possible if you could guide us through the wilderness here?
1: I would love to. I would love to get on my horse and force you to run through a river. (laughs) Um, So, okay. So City Slickers opens with our trio of Slickers. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Crystal... Bruno Kirby, who we know from when Harry met Sally,
2: and also I believe,
1: is he the young Clemenza in the Godfather part? Young too? Clemenza,
2: yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mm, young Clemenza. I find Bruno Kirby's energy very soothing for whatever reason
0: totally i find him to be very sexual in a very strange way but yeah i think it's the mustache yeah i
1: (laughs) I mean it's not all the mustache but i do think that do you notice alex i'm sure you notice this there's a moment near in our like grand climax where bruno kirby kisses billy crystal on the forehead yes and it's so lovely yeah it is really lovely
0: (laughs) it's really nice Ah.
1: So okay. Bruno Kirby and his mustache and Daniel Stern bringing up
0: the rear. (laughs) Oh my God. Absolutely. And they're in
1: Pamplona, Spain doing the running of the bulls, which is a phenomenon I've never really understood. But is it just that a bunch of people and some bulls like just run down the street as long as they can? Is that it?
2: I, I don't even know if it's still a real thing, but like it always seemed like one of those eighties or nineties movie tropes like, Oh, we're gonna go see the yeah. running of the bulls or the running of the grunions. Like it's like one of those things that pops up in multiple movies, but yeah, I've never
0: actually seen it. I
1: feel like it was in like commercials in the nineties <laughs> no, no, no. or something. They were like a thing everyone knows, the running of the bulls.
0: Yeah. It was like a top ten cultural phenomenon that everyone knew about
1: yeah which is weird you think about what general knowledge was like in the 80s and you're like hmm in a great way
0: i can say we are certainly going to hear from the running of the bulls pros uh, as a result of not knowing this piece of information so we'll find out in a a couple of weeks
1: yeah and while (laughs) we're at it i would just love to hear from people about what's going on in fox hunting (laughs) if it exists anymore or what because i do feel there's also like there was a period when like, if you wanted to add a touch of drama to your movie, just throw in a fox hunt. You know what the best part of the Omen 3 is? A fox hunt scene. I digress. Also, Sam Neill getting all hot with Jesus and calling him the Nazarene and it's very sexy. But anyway, all right. City slickers.
0: I just want to let you guys know the Running of the Bulls is happening this year. It takes place yearly. July 7th through the 14th in uh, Pamplona, Spain. It's coming up.
1: And, of course, I'm sure pe- people must die while doing this, yeah. right? Because you are running with bulls.
0: Someone Totally. You get Some sure. people get gored.
1: And Billy Crystal gets gored in the ass a little bit. A cute gore. Yeah. A tipper <laughs> gore. And so he goes to get his ass sewn up. And we sort of see the dynamic with him and his friends. And we realize that they're, like, men approaching 40 with disposable income who, like, if they were around today and they were women they would be instagramming about all this nonstop <laughs> totally. and it would be like it, it would be very familiar but they're just like trying to recapture their will to live by going on expensive vacations where they try to make themselves feel like they're in danger but not really like most
0: disney rides and they're they're married to the three wife types in movies <laughs> at this time <laughs> To 40-year-old men. And the three wife types are inexplicably supportive, who is Billy mm-hmm. Crystal's wife. And I mean, not inexplicably as if it's outside of her character, but you're kind of like, what is he giving where you're still supportive? Little jokes, Alex. Shrew, uh, who is Daniel Stern's mm-hmm. wife. We got a shrew. And then we have 24-year-old. <laughs>
2: yes. 24-year-old underwear model. Underwear. <laughs> yes. yes
0: exactly, totally, totally. Yes. Absolutely. These are the three wife types of this type.
1: Yeah, it's true. So, okay, so we have our three wife types and Yearly Smith.
2: Yeah. Lisa Simpson as the mistress.
0: <laughs> <laughs> as the, jo- not quite a teenage mistress.
1: She's 20. Leave me alone. She's 20. Yeah, so she like crashes Billy Crystal's birthday party to tell Daniel Stern, who she's been having an affair with, that she's pregnant. And the affair has happened because of she's a checkout girl at the grocery store that Daniel Stern manages. That's like his wife's dad's business. So there's like a. <laughs> what I love it in movies when there's like a giant scene right at a birthday party. Me too. Isn't that why we have birthday parties? Absolutely. Yeah. And Daniel Stern is like, I hate you. If hate were people, I would be China. <laughs> and then Billy Crystal is like let's bring out the cake so because of all this Bruno Kirby and Daniel Stern are like I think Bruno Kirby specifically because he's kind of the daredevil of the group is like let's go to a dude ranch we're gonna herd cattle we're gonna be cowboys for two weeks and Patricia Weddick is like I think you should go this is my gift to you you seem really depressed like just go see if you can find your will to live she says go find your smile which I really love. Like, people need to say that to each other in relationships.
0: Which is the basis of the end song of the movie, which I really appreciate. They, like, is stuck it? to that theme. Yeah, I don't know who, who sings the last song, but it's basically like, I found my smile. Something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> I also
1: wish, I mean, I love the music in this movie, but it would be nice if we had more aspects of When Harry Met Sally. Like, what if there was just, like, a lot of Harry Connick Jr. Uh, totally. On the soundtrack.
0: I was hoping for some Motown hits, but yeah, I, I totally. I, yeah. I, I would love that. Luther Vandross.
1: Yes. This also, just speaking of movies of this era, I would just like to say again my belief that, like, James Conn is perfect in Misery, but if... Anyone had wanted to take the movie in a different direction, you know who would have been great casting? Mm-hmm. Billy Crystal.
0: Yeah, that would have been great.
1: <laughs> but anyway, also set on a farm. So they show up at the dude ranch. We meet our other characters who are the black father and son dentist duo where like one of the only kind of like annoyingly of its time moments in this movie is when the son is like, yeah, we're both black and we're both dentists. What of it? And it's like, ooh, political correctness run amok. <laughs> Isn't it terrible? <laughs> um, and then we have Ira and Barry, which Alex, that's I think that's one of your favorite parts.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's our Ben and Jerry of the group. That's
1: our Ben and Jerry, played by Josh Mostel and I, did I write down his name? Because he's in absolutely everything. Drag me to hell, guy.
2: It's, it's David Pamer, who actually then was also in, because uh, this is where it's like the Billy Crystal verse, right? Because you've got David <laughs> yeah. Pamer, who was then in Mr. Saturday Night as Billy Crystal's brother. So, like, yeah, there's just like a lot of crossovers here.
1: That's so exciting. Yeah. So, and then we have Helen Slater, Supergirl, as woman.
0: Yes, as woman. Exactly right. <laughs> That is who she is in this movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so we get our core group. We got our dude ranch owners, our two scary ranch hands who Billy Crystal has to have a confrontation with when they're sexually harassing Supergirl. And he's trying to have a confrontation and tell them to back off, Biff. Biff, you leave her alone. (laughs) And it's not going well. And then who should show up but Curly? Jack Palance, or Palance, as Roger Ebert calls him. I don't know what to think. And Alex, I want you to describe how Curly solves this situation.
0: Um, he, he brings the machismo of uh, one of the Western characters he would have played, whatever, 20 to 30 years uh, prior. He's very mm-hmm. cool. He's uh, physically uh, and violently intimidating to the, uh, to the assailants. While also in doing so with confidence, being a total affront to Billy Crystal, who is terrified by everything and sad Mm -hmm. that he's not able to do all of the things that Jack Palance is able to do.
1: That's so true.
0: Jack Palance is very cool about it, does this effortlessly and is nonplussed by his having to intervene.
1: This is also, Alex, I was saying to you, this is like a lovely movie about depression. Totally.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Because Billy's depressed. He also, I forgot to say, part of how we know, we know how depressed he is, is that he goes to career day at his son, Jake Gyllenhaal's <laughs> school. <laughs> and his son has lied about his job because he works in advertising and gets scolded by Jeffrey Tambor. So Billy Crystal gives this like wonderful unhinged monologue to these like probably <laughs> fifth graders about how depressing and pointless the rest of their lives are going to be
2: one of the things i had as i was rewatching this was just this feeling of wow i was jake gyllenhaal's age when this movie came out and i first saw it and now i'm <sighs> older than billy's crystal's character is in this movie and that that's not a good feeling it's just not a good feeling <laughs> <No>. at
0: all <laughs> I don't know if it's the same year or the prior year, but Christmas Vacation comes out and I, around this time, either a year before. Or...
1: That was eighty nine, I think. So they're like two years apart. Yeah, you
0: know? this this I feel like is it, Christmas Vacation has always stood out to me because of his Clark's job, which is that he's like a food chemist, like right. he he makes he does the cereal coating. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, he makes like the, essentially the sugar varnish on the cereal or whatever. And I feel like that that movie, this like this is when we're starting to talk about like what are these jobs for, like. Mm-hmm.
1: What are you contributing? Totally. Do you make enough money yeah. to go be a cowboy for fun for probably a couple thousand dollars. And
0: absolutely no disrespect to like anyone's like people have jobs for different reasons they get different things out of them. No disrespect, but like I think that this is my. The I'm
1: of- an essential worker. Just look <laughs> at me. You know,
0: <laughs> this is the beginning of a conversation where people are like, "I'm kind of unsatisfied, and maybe it's because my job is selling airtime." <laughs>
2: Well, well, Alex, look, this is why this film speaks so much to me, even to this day, where mm. when I was in my early and mid thirties, I was sinking into a very deep personal depression and I was working in marketing for insurance products. And so it was like very much a similar thing. And so the yeah. idea of like making a career shift and moving to a farm and, you know, making videos about a farm, it was inspired by just that feeling of what the hell am I doing with my life? I am mm. basically selling nothing. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. we're seeing we're seeing people start to like have that conversation and then be like, "Here's how not dealing with that is affecting our lives." And in Clark's case, it's making him psychotic. And in Billy Crystal's case, it's making him depressed.
1: Mm-hmm. And in Bruno Kirby's case, it's making him feel like cheating on his twenty four year old underwear model bride or whatever, which is like. I don't know just like it's so funny how like also yeah these like movies from this era are like monogamy is it possible you're either monogamous or you cheat on someone and it's like wow we were really so close to something else but we just hadn't thought of it
0: <laughs> were you as taken as I was by the fact that Billy Crystal with Jack Palance essentially has a conversation about non monogamy but like they don't say it like because like yes Jack Palance is like she was the love of my life but like I went and did something else and like they get so close to being like there mm-hmm. are like other models and like he is a lived example of another model and he's like mm-hmm satisfied with the decision that he made it was yeah i was like huh this is doing some interesting stuff it's never quite closing the the deal on any of the stuff but it's with regard to like what it sets out to do which is it handles all that but like some of the little things it handles along the way it's handling with a lot more nuance than i expected it to
1: it's like what we talked about with steel magnolia is where it's like people are naming the problem but not daring to name potential solutions really yet sure which is why Tumblr was so important. But, <laughs> so, okay, so yeah, so we so Jack Palance, like, ends the situation. He shows that the punishment for sexual harassment on this ranch is having a Bowie knife nearly go straight into your area. Mm-hmm. So we love that. And then, with our dynamics locked in, we head off on, I don't even know the terminology, a cattle drive, right? Yeah. that sounds right.
0: <laughs> farmer is that true (laughs) that that is accurate so so the concept
2: and it's not not common to us east coast farmers but you know out west right you're basically moving groups of cattle from one area to another and grazing them as much as you can and it it, well didn't really exactly make sense yes they're trying to take them from colorado to somewhere else or to Colorado, and that's the mission.
1: Yeah, New Mexico to Colorado. So yeah, they're going on just like a classic Western cattle drive, and they're both uncomfortable with it and excited about it. Billy Crystal is, like, uncomfortable with roping, so that's something he has to get over. And he and Curly are at first having a lot of animosity, and then they bond, and they talk about how the great love of Curly's life was a woman he saw stand up in a field one time, which is very queer time of him
0: as Alex (laughs) you said
1: and they really bond when Billy I'm just going to call him Billy Crystal has to birth a calf and he births a calf and falls in love with the calf and then Curly has to shoot the cow to take her out of her misery and once the group has really bonded and started to have fun Curly dies in the night and they have to do the cattle drive without him and then they have to do it without the two scary ranch hand guys because they're threatening billy's calf who he named norman and the, if you want to see a movie where some scary guys <laughs> put a, put a gun, gun in a little calf's mouth <laughs> put like, this is gun a movie for you
0: <laughs>
2: in a
1: calf's
0: mouth
1: it's really scary which also
2: brings us to maybe the most egregious continuity and fact error in this entire film which, which is. is that the calf Norman is clearly what's known as a Jersey Jersey is a breed of dairy cow <laughs> so somehow this beef cow is given birth to a dairy cow which yeah that was like the biggest like oh that's a no no she
1: was a surrogate she's <laughs> in the surrogate program implanted
2: <laughs> embryos or something
1: yeah aliens
0: when that calf is birthed I was like they went All out on this calf birth. Okay, great. There's no way we're going to top that in animal sort of effects. And then they put a gun in the mouth of a calf. Its little teeth clink on the metal. I was like, what?
1: You're like, wow, this is like American history X all of a sudden. (laughs) There's also, like, kind of... This is the part that doesn't sit great with me, honestly, where they, like, have Tracy Walter, the legend, is playing their, like, cook who doesn't realize that the chuck wagon is being, like, pulled by the two horses, pulling it, like, toward a canyon, I guess. So he jumps out, and the two horses continue on and fall to their deaths. And they kind of make light of it. And I was like, hmm too soon too soon to heaven's gate i don't know horse i just think horse death is can never be funny in a way
2: well and 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 i think the other thing that that comes out is you know at the end of the film right when the ranch owner's like oh yeah we're selling them off to the beef lot because i'm getting a lot of money for them. everybody's appalled that like these are going to be used as beef animals my lord i know
1: (laughs) and it is like did you read the whole brochure (laughs) all the way to the end
2: well what were the cowboys eating back in the day (laughs)
1: Right, yeah, yeah. And like, what did you think all this was about, which is such an interesting moment, yeah, and so they Billy Crystal asserts um his place as Norman's dad, and they continue on without the two scary guys who abandon the group, and then Supergirl and Banning Jerry and the dentist duo all decide to leave and save themselves and so it's down to the final trio billy crystal daniel stern and bruno kirby and i should also mention that daniel stern really goes nuts when he has to protect (laughs) norman and everybody else from the two guys and we also get daniel stern you know just a lot of gun action in this movie this is a lot of you know it's a western but also a lot of like (laughs) men holding guns close to other living things as heads
0: it's about the reckless way men act when they have wild relationships with their dads like basically just literally like literally to the point where daniel stern is wielding that gun and maybe going to shoot one of these guys Mm -hmm. explaining that the reason he's so frustrated with bullies is because his father-in-law's a bully and then we find out also that the warmest his dad ever was to him in his life is he winked at Mm -hmm. him at his wedding and so like Mm -hmm. you have and then these guys like love baseball because it reminds them of a time where like they were able to get close to their fathers who were impenetrable in another number of ways so like Mm -hmm. these are men and then they finally find a dad and he dies sitting upright on his horse so yeah there's a lot of dad stuff going on
2: (laughs) and then then they just decide to bury him it's like oh he's dead let's just (laughs) dig a hole
0: (laughs) I do like that Ben or Jerry was like do we need a license or something (laughs) (laughs) because that's the first thing i thought when they were
1: (laughs) they're just like we're in the old west we just gotta bury people as they you know yeah and so 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 that's our, our grand um climax is that the three guys have to finish the cattle drive and we think billy crystal isn't gonna do it with them but then he like shows up like triumphantly on top of a hill on his horse and like this western music plays and I cried. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. And then they have to drive the cattle through this river that isn't very deep, but it's raining and it's intense. And then the current is too strong for Norman and Billy has to rope Norman, which is the thing he's worst at, but he does it, but still it's not enough. And so he has to jump in the water and try and save Norman. And then the raging river is going to carry him away to almost certain death, but his two friends are able to save him and the calf that he loves. And then Bruno Kirby kisses him on the forehead (laughs) and then they all go home. And uh, Billy Crystal has found his smile and he has brought a calf home to live with his family. And luckily, they already own a van. I don't know why they own a van, but it's so great that they already have a van to take the calf home in. And that's the movie.
2: <laughs> and I cry. <laughs> and and onto that father theme, right? So you've got Bruno Kirby now becoming comfortable with oh, yeah. impregnating his underwear girlfriend. Like he's now okay with that idea of having kids. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's now that's his character arc in this film. And mm. then you've got Billy Crystal becoming a dad to a calf even though he's already got two kids he's like but now this calf I am I am now a father figure to this animal and, and he he has now like become comf- very comfortable with that identity at the end
1: yeah yeah and I love that it's and then Daniel Stern has to like recover the will to live and not murder anyone and it's really touch and go for a minute there but then he ends up with Helen Slater who's like I loved it when you almost murdered that guy and again I love this movie and it's also just nice to look at this very heartwarming film and be like it's nice that we don't do that kind of messaging anymore <laughs> or that when we do people get really mad about it
0: yeah we get we get a little more new yeah because like the thing that a thing that i do enjoy about these characters is like daniel stern's relationship with this bagger is even more complicated by the fact that like he's her boss probably like six levels over so there's like mm-hmm. it's not just you know there's like these aren't good guys
1: they're okay guys at the most. And that's really nice. Well, and
0: I like, and they make a number of decisions that are like, and they explore sort of why the decisions are happening and the way, why they are the way that they are, which is largely tied to like anxieties about sex and death. This is an extremely mm. Freudian movie. <laughs> you know, and we hear from Bruno Kirby that like, his both best and worst day was when he had to stand between his father and his family when he was 14 when he was 14 and that's a story that I've heard many times from people who've kind of been in that situation and it you know fucks you up in a number of ways and so we see it but like You know, I kind of feel like a more like twee indie movie would be like, I fuck up and these are the reasons I fuck up and that's it. And in this movie, they get to that point and then they're like, oh, like we also have to figure out a way to be better. and then what like so like we get the reason why they are the way that they are and then they actually like go on some journey
1: and then they're like literally forced to have emotional growth because like they gotta save the
0: cows right 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 And and then we find out in the end which is perfect that they go through the whole journey to save the cows and the cows are gonna be slaughtered (laughs) Which is which is perfect because they're cows and that makes sense in the context. And I'm sure we can get into more cow facts with Morgan. But like the um, (laughs) it's also great because it's like the journey and the fruits of the journey are never the actual like text of what the fruits are. It's always like what happens along the way, because like the, Hmm. the cow's fate is not one way or another. They're going to end up sort of on a plate. What matters is like they kind of stepped up in the way that they needed to figure out how. Yeah. And,
2: you know, the other thing, too, that's, that's worth talking about when you think about the healthy father son dynamic is, you know, Ben and I forget the son's name, the black dentists like mm-hmm. that. They, they seem actually like their Steve, father and yeah. son who are connected. They're spending time together. They're enjoying each other's company. And like, that's the healthiest, I feel like, real example of the relationship in that whole film. But it's yeah. just another example. Yeah.
1: Well, and they're the only father and son, I think, that we see in this movie who are spending time together. When the son is in adulthood, like everyone else's dad is like off in the backstory, which is, I think, feels. Yeah, I guess watching this, I was I was like, oh, right. Like this is for boomer men, right? Like these characters would have been born in like the 40s and 50s, late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, they're
0: right? watching like 50s baseball in real time
1: yeah and this is exactly my mom's age and she also like she grew up watching westerns and like Mm. wanted to be a cowboy which is very gay of her (laughs) but also just like what was available at the time and that this was like uh, I don't know that like cowboy media was kind of like superhero media today where it's like all of the themes all the kinds of stories all the like so many different aspects of storytelling are just being forced through one kind of setting and character type. And so it just stands in for so much when you grow up with it,
0: I think. Yeah. It's myth, you know, it's like, it's just yeah, like it's the myth. fabric. It's the fact, because I was going to say, if this is like a Freudian movie, it's also like a Joseph Campbell movie. Cause this is like, yeah. the, you know, very like hero's journey in a myth. It's so interesting. Sarah, I was looking at the soundtrack and the soundtrack is just made up of the TV themes of old Westerns. Really? That's so great. Because their memory of their experience of the West is on television. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you got Magnificent Seven. You've got the Yeehaw scene in Red yeah. River. You've got, I mean, Jack Palance, in and of himself, right. right? He's like the ultimate Western villain in Shane with like the yeah. pick up the gun. Like, you know, like all of that is just rooted in like the myth that's kind of woven throughout the whole film.
0: Totally, mm-hmm. I love that. That yeah, Sarah, that comparison that the Western is what the superhero movie is, and the middle, the midpoint in that perfectly is Star Wars, right? Because it's like a marriage yeah. of the two. Oh it's, it's like Westerns, oh Star Wars, space opera, then superhero movies is just you know pure fabric of myth. Yeah, and that's that's where I you know I always go, and and I know Campbell has a lot of issues. There's a lot of places he can be criticized, but like I always go into, you know. Campbell, Young, etc., place when I want to better understand my place in narrative. Mm-hmm. And like that's what these these guys are kind of like lost in narrative and they need to like rediscover hmm. what their meaning is. And sometimes you need to like go and do something in order to make <laughs> that happen. It's that one thing, you know? Yeah, that one <laughs> exactly. That one thing. Yeah. Can yeah. you explain that scene, Morgan? And as a person who was not doing the one thing did that speak to you in some way
2: yeah well i mean there's that conversation in in the film where where curly's talking about the meaning of life is you know he just sticks Mm -hmm. up his finger and it's the one thing (laughs) and and i do think there is some universal truth in that where Mm -hmm. when you lead a life and you're Looking at all of the different distractions and all the different things that you could or should be focusing mm-hmm. on, it can be very hard to find satisfaction in that. I mean, it's almost to that concept mm-hmm. of Billy Crystal and his rant about selling air. But if you start to like really say, hey, you have this one thing that you're focused on and that you're going to achieve and you're going to do and you're going to put your all and you're going to give everything you've got to that, that can be such a powerful organizing force for your life. And it puts you in a direction and in a place, I think, that gives you focus and can give you potentially satisfaction.
0: Mm.
1: I also love when he does this and Billy Crystal's like, the meaning of life is your
0: finger. (laughs) 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 Billy Crystal is very relatable in that he, like, for more than half this movie, he cannot say anything that's not a bit.
1: He's the original millennial.
0: He is the original yeah. millennial.
1: <laughs> well, and it, and it fits, right? And I feel like he's, like, in this movie, like, is a great example of how, like, you're you're allowed to dig into deeper emotional truths through comedy. And also, I mean, this movie has, like, some real sitcom writing in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the the endless conversations about, like, infidelity. Like, it feels a little bit Seinfeldian. And I think Babalu Mondel, one of the writers, like, went on
0: to write for Seinfeld. Oh, that makes sense. It's at once like broader and a little dumber than I expected it was going to be <laughs> while also being extremely smart in directions mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to be. And I think that that's kind of, you know, the smart, broad comedy is a thing that I feel like I don't see as much anymore. Is something that mm-hmm. like every family was going to see. Mm-hmm. And somehow you still get a lot out of it. Like they're dealing with giant themes in this movie. But so much of it
2: is packaged in the wisecrack.
0: And yeah. I think there there is this
2: magic of the wise crack and particularly for, you know, male baby boomer Jewish comedians and actors. Like it mm-hmm. like it falls very much specifically into kind of that that segment as as the lead mm-hmm. where it's like the weaponized wisecrack. It's it's being able to use that instead of like your fist for the punch and and mm. i think it's kind of interesting when you put that up against like a jack palance who is you know just this big scary like gravelly voiced man who can whip a knife and you know come like three inches from whatever <laughs> like that that to me is, is it's a different form of fighting but it's it's really the tool that billy crystal yeah. has and it's such an interesting and entertaining thing to watch that, like growing up, you think about all I think about all the 80s movies and 90s movies I saw where the wisecrack was such an important part of mm-hmm. what made a film great. You know, mm-hmm. I think this film does a nice job of showing how it's like a character's actual core coping tool with with how, you know, Billy Crystal acts throughout the whole film.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I love it when he and Curly are actually talking about that, and he's and Billy Crystal is like, "Well, that's how I am with everybody," so you know. But and they kind of call a truce.
0: I was surprised at how quickly they came together. Like usually, like it's, a, it's totally. And 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 what I like too is like the contrast that it shows, where you have, you know, Billy Crystal reveals essentially that like he quips in all the ways that he does because he can't quite get close to like he's so it's his form of it's passive aggression Right. Like it's his form yeah. of confrontation, which is. And like, avoiding confrontation right. as well. Yeah, exactly. And Jack Palance just deals in aggression and confrontation. <laughs> and
1: so, yeah, he just throws knives yeah. <laughs> at people, which, like, you know, isn't ideal either. But they're both doing what they can. Right. And
0: they're both <laughs> trying to like get to a place where they understand each other, which, you know, I kind of like really appreciate. And like I like, too, that you made. You made the point, Morgan, that the balance of humor and seriousness with conversations about sex and death like often come up in particular in uh, Jewish humor and in movies where the leads and sort of like the writers are coming from that background. And I like how the evolution over time is where, you know, when the Coens come in and sort of become more and more popular, they're like, what if... Instead of a 50 50 split between humor and uh, mm. looking death right in the face, we somehow simultaneously cranked up both levels of each of that side to 11 like that's kind of like what they did like, let's that's have it. i would
1: argue there's no such thing as wasp humor just sounds like an oxymoron there is not
0: it. such a thing as wasp. there's no such thing as what is wasp humor what would it be there's not
1: it's when charlotte gets that little look on her face <laughs> 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 sex in the city
0: <laughs> yeah i there's i just don't i i don't know what it would be there's not. there's not there's nothing to have been funny about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can't be funny when you're killing everyone. You know? <laughs> I, Morgan, I'm curious about because it feels like you've been watching this for, you know, in many different stages of your life. And like, are there characters that you identified with? when you first saw this or were you like, those are adults and I'm not, do you identify with people in it now? What's that been like?
2: Well, it's, it's exactly that where like, I remember watching this family blockbuster movie night, you know, Mm. kind of a Friday night rental type deal. And then, I didn't watch it for me. I mean, maybe it popped up on like TNT or TBS because it's like one of those types of ubiquitous movies.
1: I feel like it was always on TNT. <laughs> yeah, it was in that rotation. Yeah,
2: right, but it wasn't until I watched it in my mid-30s where I was much closer in life to Billy Crystal Versus when I first watched it, it was like, yeah, this is adults and my dad seems to really like this movie and laugh at it a lot Okay, and my mom Mm -hmm. every morning on my birthday calls me just like Billy crystals mom does at the (laughs) beginning of the movie (laughs) Like that was always an experience Mm -hmm. I had But for me like it was like not something I identified with but watching it in my 30s It was like oh gosh, I kind of see what they're talking about now in terms of the the death part of it and what that means and what that looks like. And and like I said, I, I saw this again, like it was right when I was in DC and depth of depression and really trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life and realizing that I was past the, Hey, I'm not a young up and coming kid anymore. I'm I'm in middle age that mm-hmm. I needed to like, kind of think that through. And, and so I identified with it so much and particularly Billy Crystal's character so much because of that and that sense of, You know, I felt like I was leading a life of working a career that felt sort of meaningless and trivial. And Mm -hmm. I needed something more or something different to give my life some actual meaning to maybe create some happiness.
1: Yeah. And I feel like thinking about this as a movie about depression, like I feel like it's possible to sort of see what to me feels like the whole spectrum of reality of like a like depression is real and it comes from many directions and one of them is just the chemistry of your brain which we have the ability to affect with pharmaceuticals which is so important and life-saving and necessary and b how also yes and i think that there's something about like being in a society where like you know you're alone a lot you're not getting the kind of emotional nourishment that you humans typically need in order to thrive and maybe on top of that like you're expected to be able to put all of your energy and passion into something that you know, to be fundamentally meaningless Mm -hmm. or actually harmful potentially as the work that you're doing and how it's like, we have to recognize the reality of depression as something that we, you know, have the ability to affect medically, but also how like it's very cruel to blame people entirely like chemically like for their state of mental well-being if in fact the circumstances of their lives like actually are meaningless Yeah, yeah. and make it really hard to like care about anything And if that's like the fault of the world you're in and not your brain or your body
2: Right, right and and how do you try to change, interact with that or change that or even talk about that with your friends because again I don't think it's insignificant that in the film right you have three friends who've been friends since they were kids Like, you know, the maturity of your adult friendships, like friendships that are formed later in life versus those ones that still fall back on the same things that you did when you were 10. There's a difference in what those relationships can mean and how they can make you feel and how comfortable you can even feel in talking about those things. Where like if I think about Mm -hmm. times when I've talked about my depression and things that I've dealt with with friends, I've got, you know, best friends who I'm still friends with since I was like seven years old. Where it's so much harder to talk to them about that versus Mm. say somebody who I became friends with in our early 30s and you know, we've seen each other go through similar types of crap, and it's just it's easier to connect on that level. And so having those people that you can talk to and recognizing that sometimes the maturity of those relationships is dependent on how comfortable you are talking about where you are in your headspace.
0: Yeah. Right. It's so interesting because it's like, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge proponent of a lot of different you know, approaches to sort of like mental health and outlook and, and therapeutic uh, drugs. I'm big into mindfulness practice, et cetera. But the, uh, uh, to your point, Sarah, and to the points of stuff that you've said, Morgan. you you know, I'm a big fan of those because like your head is pretty much like one of the only things that you're able to engage meaningfully. It's not, you can't Mm. always fundamentally change the specifics of your reality, right? Like of your day to day, it's not Mm. always sort of on the table. It's great when it is possible and it's something that you can pursue. There's a lot of things that stand in between people that you're being able to do that. And so as a result, it can sometimes feel like it's like, well, dealing with your mental health in whatever ways can only go so far, but sometimes it's also the, only thing that you have any power over and sometimes it feels like you don't yeah. have any power over it so like we see these different journeys happening throughout this movie of people who have you know different relationships with like what their outcomes can ultimately be based on what's on the table for them and sometimes you do need to like just like fundamentally if it's possible and on the table sometimes you do need to like fundamentally change what you are doing day to day because mm-hmm. sometimes it's that That is the thing that is fucking you up the
1: most. (laughs) Yeah. And then in many cases, you know, kind of to what you're saying, Alex, it's like sometimes you do have that power. And often, especially in America, you don't. And that's why social change is necessary. But there can be parts of you that are harmful or dangerous, and you can still be functional or helpful to society in other ways. And it doesn't, human beings are more complex than that it's the power that changes everything. And it's the pe- the number of people who are willing to cover up for you.
0: Yeah. I, I, th- I do think like, that is a thing that I, again, that I, I do enjoy a lot about this movie is like, it's, you know, I, I don't think that there's any part in presenting outside of them kind of just being like, Oh, he got a, he maybe got an employee of his pregnant, like outside of them, not sort of be, having a more monumental reaction. I never get the sense at the end of this movie that they're asking me to like Daniel Stern. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that he doesn't have to go he's still he's done a thing that is a, that I would consider abhorrent and misguided. But like he still has to go on a journey to become better. Like it's the mm-hmm. the the thing isn't just like give up now forever. Don't do anything ever again. You fucked up. And that's the only part of your whole brain. Like, he still has to, like, you know, become whole.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, in this, I don't know, there's an interesting continuum between, like, okay, so City Slickers is, like, definitely using some of the material in a much, you know, lighter, softer sweeter way but it's still using some of the themes of movies like duel or (laughs) straw dogs yes right where it's like what do you do if you're incomplete as a man and it's like well sometimes you just have to kill a lot of people i don't know what to (laughs) what to tell that's the moral of straw dogs and then that straw dogs is like a step away from i spit on your grave which you know and then my affection for movies like that is very weird to me because i'm like i just love to watch a woman murder all of her rapists I just love it and also it's like how do we fit that into the idea of like well you know violence doesn't solve trauma and the more we rely on that idea as a culture the sicker we're gonna stay but also like but that we have a need for it in fantasy and I find it so the, like, city slickers to straw dogs overlap, I think, is, like, <laughs> right? Like, that's right where Daniel Stern's character is.
2: For sure. And, and think about it, too. It's it's the Western genre, which, again, this film is a Western or Western reflective. Yeah. And, you know, the Westerns of the John Wayne era, right? It's so much of it was solved with the gun. And, like, right. you know, that was how conflict was presented. What's interesting, too, when you think about like late 80s, early 90s, Western style movies, I'm going to throw Back to the Future 3 into the mix here, (laughs) where Mm -hmm. if you think about Back to the Future 3 and how Marty is, you know, having his like move to manhood, where Mm -hmm. ultimately getting past his being uncomfortable with people calling him chicken comes from him having his self-confidence and being comfortable in the man that he is and being who he Mm -hmm. is. That's his character arc. I think it's actually kind of similar here where it's, you know, these guys accepting themselves for who they are, confronting Mm. a task that they have to deal with of, you know, moving these cattle across a river. That's what is their test of manhood. It's not about the violence, even though there's echoes of violence and. Curly's a violent character and the cow hands are violent characters. Like there are these violent characters, but to like actually achieve in this type of Western, it's actually more about <laughs> sticking with it and going through it.
0: Yeah. The one thing I want to push back on and and not that I think mm. that this is a something that y- y- <laughs> that you're insisting upon one way or another Morgan, I mm-hmm. appreciate Curly's violence. <laughs> I do, because I think I do too. <laughs> because we see a spectrum of violence in this movie. And the vi- mm-hmm. we see the violence that comes from like the insecure sort of like terrorizing men mm-hmm. and then Curly's violence, which is I think the most violent he gets is throwing the knife. As a cautionary crotch knife throw.
1: Yeah. And like, and he knows how to not throw a knife into your penis. He's doing the
0: thing that we kind of talk about doing, where it's like, use your privilege. If you have privilege, use it in order to Mm -hmm. intervene in particular situations. And that's what he does. (laughs) He uses uses the privilege of his relationship with tactical violence.
1: And I agree. And I mean, I feel it like some of the best, I don't know, that like Westerns are like this crazy quilt of masculinity trying to figure itself out and also trying to reflect kind of contemporary America or people's ideas about it. And like, I always love the Western archetype of the man who like is the best fighter, but he doesn't want to do it like he can, but he won't, but he'll have to. And the three great examples of that that I can think of are John Wayne in The Quiet Man, very problematically, but kind of wonderful for this being the story of every single episode, David Carradine in Kung Fu, <laughs> sure. where the whole premise is that he's wandering the American West and he is sworn not to do Kung Fu, but in every episode he's going to have to do Kung Fu. Right, right. And of course, Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse
2: <laughs> trifecta right there. <laughs> right. But
1: it's like that, like these movies are also maybe like one of the only places that Americans and American boys have been able to go to historically and be told like, the strongest person in the group is the person who doesn't want to fight and who is going to like create a boundary and say like, if you do this or if you do the thing you're trying to do, then like there will be very real consequences. But like hurting you is absolutely a last resort. And that I think we understand that's where power is.
0: Right. Because we see then, and the the only reason why I bring up like the spectrum of violence and we have the, the guys who are sort of terrorizing and then we have curly, sort of acting in exactly the way that you're Mm -hmm. kind of talking about. Although Curly will do whatever he needs to do, but he does things with a particular certainty. And like, that's his strength is that like he uses the action that he thinks the situation requires. And then we see Daniel Stern have his thing where, you know, he's going to use violence, but like, he's not going to use it tactically. He's going to use it because he can't control his outcome at that particular moment. And he, Thrives when he finally realizes that he needs to, you know, rein himself in. Right. So it's
2: sort of the last gasp of, oh, wow, I'm a, a man on the edge kind of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can you just tell us what the leap from going from Washington to Vermont was, you know, sort of like what you imagined it was going to be. And then like what it really was like. (laughs) I mean, honestly,
2: so, so yeah, I, I had this kind of fantasy of, you know, wow, I'm working a job where I'm just not feeling like I'm making a difference in the world. I'm not producing anything. I'm, you know, like I said, marketing financial products essentially. And, you know, starting the farm in 2018 it was okay i'm getting out here and i'm learning some stuff but i think the biggest thing i didn't appreciate was how much to make that leap you actually do have to learn in terms of how to take care of animals how to build a fence like doing all of those basics which were skills that i never had and i'm still you know struggling to to get together and learn but you know slowly but surely that's that's i feel like what i've been doing and you know, part of why I think some of my videos have worked from a social media standpoint is that I, I'm honest about how I document that and and showing both kind of the successes and failures, which are there's plenty of them that I could point to, and 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 I think that that has been probably the biggest shift for me in in getting comfortable with that vulnerability of showing myself failing. It's probably been the biggest lesson of it all, and how important that is.
0: Yeah because like there are two there are two paths right as illustrated by this movie one is if you're in Billy Crystal's position you can change everything. Cause he's considering doing that. His wife is again, very supportive is making that offer that like, if he needs to change everything, that's totally fine. They can make it happen. And you did change, change a lot, you know, by sort of like relocating and, and changing your job and changing what you're doing day to day. Or in his case, it was like, or you could just kind of like acknowledge that this is what you're doing and maybe focus on the things that are really important and kind of like recalibrate and refocus. But as a person who did the change everything piece, like, how do you feel like that served? do? You?
2: Well, I mean, look, my, my wife and I, we had very like, there, there are conversations that we had that were very similar where she's like, look, I can just tell you're just not happy with where things are at. You're not who you were kind of thing. Something needs to give here. Something needs to change. And and so I think that that was a big part of it. And, and I think the other truth of it all is too, right? I didn't just flip a switch and make it all happen. Right. So it's a gradual progression, I guess, is the real answer in that even for people who want to try to change everything, Usually, you're not going to change everything overnight. You're going to change maybe a couple Mm -hmm. of things, and then that leads to more changes, and then more changes, and you're just, you know, pulling on the thread of the sweater.
1: Mm. Yeah. And not to be the person who says this annoying thing, but it is true that, like, if you try and change everything, which I've done hundreds of times, the part of you that you're trying to really get away from will invariably catch up with you like one of those. Walkers and it follows and beautiful,
0: really. <laughs> so Sarah, you're
2: so 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 you're so spot on. I actually just yesterday, so so one of the things I've been dealing with is I have binge eating disorder, and I actually just made a video talking about it for the first time ever. Um, and I haven't even put it out yet. Hmm. So much at the core of it was this idea of, oh, I want to move up to a farm and I'm going to live a healthy life and it's going to be good and I'm going to be happy and things are going to be great. But at the, at the core of it still, you're still, you, you're still confronting who you are and you need to get comfortable and deal with that. Cause even if you change your setting, even if you change your job, that's not going to change you. And that's not going to be just a magic light switch to make you happy. So you're a hundred percent spot on. And it's like, until you start to deal with your shit, you're not going to really change. It's not going to, the setting's not going to change yeah. you. You are going to need to change.
1: And I feel like, I don't know, that there's like different places that we're attracted or different lifestyles that we're attracted to for different reasons. But there are so many big changes that work and that kind of clearly someone is a better fit for kind of their soul and the journey they're on. And I feel like the ones that work are the ones where your growth is necessitated by the experience as very dramatically depicted in City Slickers or kind of... You know as you're talking about here where it's like the daily work of it like the stuff that you have to figure out like that you are called on to maybe deal with parts of yourself that could just like and we're actually kind of you know in daily life and kind of a pointless job or in a, a field that's like hurting you over time or a lifestyle that is hurting you over time like one of the ways that those things really hurts you i think is by like for example academia if i had stayed in academia I would have only become more passive aggressive, because that's how people communicate there. And that's what's rewarded, you know?
0: Yeah, this is I mean, I love this conversation. This is my favorite, because like, I'm a big wherever you go, there you are person like you have to, you can change every I've similarly, Sarah, like, Mm -hmm. I've changed geographies by 1000s of miles. Mm -hmm. I've changed jobs radically. I've changed so many things many times. And then, you know, unless it's part of an active process that you're Doing consciously and intervening mm-hmm. upon, and whatever, sort of doing a lot of work, like you can change the job, you can change the life, you can change the relationship, and you're going to be there at the end of it. And that's why yeah. I, you know, I feel like whatever the approach to sort of mental well being is, if it's exclusively therapeutic or in part with pharmaceutical, or again, like I'm a huge uh, proponent of mindfulness specifically because you know, I think some people are like, but what will that change in society? It's like, we still need to do the societal changes, but we need to be different when we arrive at the other side of it. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. think that like, it's, it, you know, you just take some radical political action and everything's going to be better. It's like, no, like we're still going to be people who have hangups about sex and death and act mm-hmm. fucked up as a result. So we need to deal with yeah. that because it permeates into every part of our society.
2: Yeah. Universal basic, basic income is not going to solve attachment issues. Like it's like- like, right. yeah, wow.
0: <laughs> total, total, i'll take it i'll take it but we still need to do some work
1: yeah right and, and that like and that we want these things because they support each other right that like if we like it's not going to solve it but if there was like less fear of how to get by financially then you you would have more energy to actually work on yourself and if you work on yourself you know then you are a better agent for change but right that it's like these things matter because they support each other not because one is like the one thing it's a lot of things
0: yeah absolutely we know that billy crystal is a father uh in this movie and uh is daniel certain do, do the other guys have kids no, Daniel Stern does. I don't know. Bruno Kirby no, Bruno, probably no, his, has. His whole
2: arc is becoming comfortable with having kids. Well,
0: but he probably has
2: kids. But does he know about them?
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we know that. Uh, who, in your view, uh, Morgan, is the daddy?
2: You know, I'm going to go for an, an off choice in Bruno Kirby. Where. Oh, wow he does have that moment of the forehead kiss and going from being really insecure and commitment phobic to being comfortable with the idea of having a family. I, I think that that evolution and progression was kind of nice to see and and was, was a daddy moment, if you will.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I've, I mean, it's, this is so on the nose, but like I, you know, it's curly. (laughs) Well, of course. (laughs) For all the uh, appropriate reasons, I think I think specifically though for me, just seeing, in Sarah, you articulated it so well. The person who can fight but doesn't want to fight, and like will fight mm-hmm. if need be, but like doesn't necessarily want to do that. Like Jack Palance was known for just being like essentially like as a character in these movies was like a fascistic sort of badass, mm-hmm. and we get him to sort of exercise restraint but bring in force when necessary but like mostly he's just a person who's committed to doing the thing that he loves and I don't know it's like as if you're gonna find a surrogate father for an hour he's a perfect (laughs) guy uh to to be that father
1: yeah I'm gonna I have two little daddies it's uh Bruno Kirby's mustache and then In a meta move, Gene Siskel, who in an otherwise positive review of this movie, said that Helen Slater does not have enough to do. And that's true.
0: So agreed. she is to your point woman <laughs> morgan thank you so much for bringing city slickers to us how should people uh find you if they're not already uh, familiar with your work
2: yeah just look for us uh youtube tiktok facebook instagram just gold shaw farm uh gold like my last name and then shaw and the farm and just me documenting life here on the farm ups and downs I'm hatching a bunch of baby goslings upstairs t- later today. So yeah, Ooh. there's always something happening here.
0: You know what I? You know what I love about it, Morgan, is that it's wholesome and not sacred. Mm-hmm. Like you have found a really incredible balance of an honesty and and you know all of the you know TikTok is full of stuff that is very heightened in one way or another, and yours is wholesome without feeling like you're being talked down to. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you. I'll I'll throw that on my book jacket. (laughs) I appreciate Uh it.
1: (laughs) I also, can I ask a piece of life advice that I wonder your thoughts on? Because, so I have a friend, Jenna, another farmer who has guard geese. And I think geese can be very scary because they have those little serrated beaks and they don't give a fuck. But then one day, one of her geese actually bit me and I was like, oh, that's not that bad. So like, do you think just that just being bitten by a goose is like kind of a solution in life? (laughs)
2: yeah yeah, very much so look i've been bitten by geese hundreds of times every morning when i collect geese eggs i get bitten it's not that bad it's something that people are more i think traumatized of when they're kids but Mm -hmm. the advice i have for people and like i just told my nephew this when he was up visiting the other day where what you want to do is make your arm like a goose Mm -hmm. and, Hmm. and go at them and they will mm. back the heck up if you give them the goose hand. And and so <laughs> that's the advice I'd offer.
1: To so just to communicate to people, you're basically just like <laughs> putting your fingers in the configuration of like getting to the bottom of the pringle can and then you just like powerpoint at them
2: right or if I'm, I'm doing like a goose sock puppet <laughs> i'm making that hand gesture
1: <laughs> this is so good if only we could end every episode with good advice but this might be the first time <laughs> oh my god thank you so
0: much Morgan. this has been super fun
1: oh thanks for having me
2: guys. this was great i had, had a blast and yeah really appreciate it so thanks for having me on
0: All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this episode, for editing it as well. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing this episode. Thank you, Morgan Gold, for being here and talking about your life and talking about this movie with us. Thank you for bringing us City Slickers. Thanks to Fresh Lush for providing the beats that make the episode and our transitions and all the things in your ears makes them sound so sweet. Thank you so much, Lesh. Thank you for listening to the show. Thanks to everyone who finds us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions. And uh, I think that's it. I'm so glad that you're here. And don't you forget it, that you, my friend, are good.